Hey, y'all. Real quick before I hit play on this episode of Familypreneur for you, I want to be sure that you know that I have a brand new podcast available for you to check out. It's called Just Marketing, and you can find it on this podcast platform. Go ahead and search for Just Marketing and hit subscribe so you don't miss anything. Then come back here and listen to this episode of Familypreneur. It'll still be here waiting for you. Welcome to Familypreneur, the podcast for parent entrepreneurs raising kidpreneurs. It's time for your weekly dose of inspiration and actionable tips to build your business and find better balance, all while strengthening your family. And now we'd like to introduce your host. She's my mom and the bomb.com, Meg Brunson. Hey there, welcome to episode number 70 of the Familypreneur podcast. Today, I'm really excited because we are going to talk with a personal friend of mine. She is going to share some of her insights when it comes to work-life balance, and we're also going to talk about organizing local in-person events. So today's guest is a wife and a mom of three teens living the work-at-home life in the Midwest. She supports female business owners through coaching, workshops, and of course, in-person events like the Lakeside Conference. Today, I'm excited to introduce you to Robin Walker. Hey, Robin. Thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm excited. We finally connected. I feel like we've had a little bit of a bumpy road to get here. Yep. As is life. As is life. So tell me a little bit about your family and your entrepreneurship. Well, I started out as a teacher, actually, an elementary school teacher. And then when I was pregnant with my oldest daughter, who is now almost 18, I decided to stay home, be a stay-at-home mom. And then about... Six months in, I started getting antsy and <laughs> itch. getting rid of that full-time income was rough. So I did start building some businesses on the side and flash forward 18 years. And I'm currently a business strategist and I do one-on-one coaching with female entrepreneurs. And then I also host the Lakeside Conference, which I'm very excited for you, Meg, to be a speaker at. Yes, I'm excited too. Yeah. So things have just evolved and I had a product business and everything has just kind of led me to where I am today. And now I have three kids and a husband and two dogs. So it's pretty busy over here. (laughs) Kids are 17, 15, and 13. So we're right in the heart of the teen years. Ooh, I am not there yet. I'm not sure that I envy you. (laughs) It's probably... The hardest parenting I've ever done, but it's always a really fascinating phase of life to watch kids get taller than you and really become their own person. So it's kind of a bittersweet time. I can imagine. So in those 18 years, what did entrepreneurship look like? Did you have a lot of pivots? How many jobs did you take on in that time? I would say I had about three businesses that were actually profiting businesses that I stuck with long enough to actually have them become a business. I know we dabble a lot and try out new things, but I would say there were three. The first one was definitely right from teaching. I had a company that did continuing education for preschool teachers, daycare workers. I did that for a while, but I had to leave my family a lot for that to 
teach the workshops. And so that was more difficult. My husband works a lot of nights and weekends. So I've had to really fit my business into daytime hours. And you know, when you have little kids and toddlers and babies, it's it's a much harder time to get anything done, let alone leave the house. So then I had a product-based business that I could work from home. And I did that during nap time. I set up routines with my kids so that I had dedicated work time. And then once they went back to school is when I really started pivoting into business coaching. Was them going back to school, did that just free up more time for you to do the business coaching? It does. And it was also at a time, it was a few years in, I also got to kind of a phase of learning more about myself and what my strengths are and realizing that the business that I had been running for so long was not using my strengths in the best way. And it explained a lot of tasks you keep doing over and over that you're like, this just doesn't feel right. Mm -hmm. And it was actually last year that I finally closed the other business. So I had been running two for quite a few years. But yes, them going to school does free up time. You feel like it's going to be a ton of time, but it goes by so fast. Yes. It's funny. When you're in school, it seems like you go to school a lot. But when you have kids in school, (laughs) it's like there are so many holidays. I know all areas of the country are different, but my kids get out early every single Monday, every Monday. So I feel like they're not really there as much as we... (laughs) As much as we think they should be. I think that was one of my hardest struggles or one of my struggles when they went back to school is I thought, okay, now I'm going to be able to really do this full time. And up to that point, I would have considered it a part-time job, even though it felt like I was always working. I was also felt like I was always taking care of small children. But what I realized is I am more the default parent. And so I'm the one who has to pull them out of school to take them to the dentist. So I think those boundaries are really difficult with having kids in school as well as having them at home. And I really just didn't have as much time as I thought I would. So thinking, oh, this will be full time, it really isn't. And I feel like a lot of our listeners may have younger kids. So if you could go back and do everything again, what would you change that might help some of our listeners? I would have put some more clear expectations and boundaries in place so that our whole family was on the same page. When you quit a full-time job, whether it's corporate or teaching or nursing, I was receiving benefits. I had retirement, a regular check. I think it's really important to have the expectations of is your spouse expecting you to bring in that income within a year? Or just like what I talked about with the hours, when am I going to work? When is it healthy for the family for me to work? And just kind of knowing what are you trying to get out of this business? So I left teaching so I could spend more time with my kids. So if my spouse was thinking, well, you're working all day, then that's not really valuing why I left teaching. Because if I'm behind a laptop for seven hours a day, I'm not spending valuable time with my kids. They might as well be in daycare. So I think just having everyone on the same page, what expectations does everyone have so that there's no miscommunication or disappointment? I like that. I like how you broke that down. And your husband, he worked a traditional job, you said, right? He is a chef. So traditional in that he works for someone, but his hours are anything but traditional. So that's why I'm the default parent because he can't leave cooking for someone's wedding 
<laughs> because a kid is sick. And so that gave me even more limits on being a full-time business owner. Sure. And what about your kids? Where are they at now? So your oldest is 17. You said getting ready to go to college, right? Yeah. She's a senior in high school, so she'll be going to college this fall. How's that feel? Oh, bittersweet. <laughs> is she staying close by? About four hours away. So she is, you know, a firstborn. So she's rearing to go. What do you think entrepreneurship, how do you think entrepreneurship has affected all of your kids, but especially your oldest, who's now getting ready to enter the workforce or getting ready to go to college and then likely enter the workforce? I think the kids have seen that you can do something that's not traditional and Mm -hmm. that you can create a space that you want. So I think the kids being raised with me doing my own thing, so to speak, has taught them that what they can choose for their career or their life goals does not have to fit in this specific box. And when we were younger, it was, you're going to be a teacher, a nurse, a firefighter. If you ran a small business, it was a store or a brick and mortar type situation. And I think this has shown them if what you want to do doesn't exist, you can create it and you can make it. I think it's also good to show, because not everyone's wired to be an entrepreneur, and I think it's good to show also what might not be a good fit. In the case of my oldest is, I don't know that entrepreneurship would be the best fit for her, but it's also taught her as we were looking for different career choices, which ones have the most potential to be able to pivot and find different parts of that career or industry as you grow as a person. So you're not stuck doing the same thing every day, all day. So even though at this point, she doesn't want to be self-employed, she's still applying some of those principles to career choices. Absolutely. And I think that's really important for kids to look at the flexibility of whatever industry that they're going to be going into because they're young. I mean, they are young to be making these decisions and these financial commitments of college. And so I think keeping some options open. The other thing it's really taught me, I've learned a lot throughout this journey about myself and what my strengths are and how those are represented and what I do for my tasks and my job every day. And I think that's been good enlightenment for her to be able to then think of her strengths and and what she's good at versus just what do you want to do with your life? And what about your other two kids, your younger two? Well, my middle child is not a huge fan of school. So we've had a lot of great talks about other options. What are things you love that you could turn into a blog or a vlog? And then my youngest really has a true entrepreneurial spirit. And I think she, if anyone, will be the one that will start. She's already starting businesses. And and it's funny, even my oldest throughout her childhood has started little businesses. And one time I said, you don't want to be an entrepreneur. And she's like, no, mom, I know you want one of us to be one, but (laughs) it's not me. And I said, that's okay. If you want to work for someone else your whole life, that's fine. And she was like, well, I don't know. (laughs) Like once you put it that way, then it makes it seem like, well, yeah, I guess. But I do think it's good. We've talked about after college, being in your industry, getting experience, paying off your student loan 
And then looking into what are some options of parlaying this experience, maybe Mm -hmm. into a business or consulting on the side or something you can do if you want to stay home with your kids. So I think it's just opened up for them a lot of different options and just open their mind to it doesn't have to fit in a box. And I like that you presented it that way too, that she could have like effectively a side hustle. Mm -hmm. You know, she could find what she likes to do as a career, but have something like consulting something even related to her business that she offers on the side. For me, that's always felt like an insurance policy. With any traditional job, you can't guarantee it's going to be there tomorrow, that they're not going to outsource or close or go bankrupt. Or I mean, there's any number of reasons why a business would close abruptly and you could be out of a job. So having something, even if it wouldn't replace your income, that could potentially keep you afloat in a tough time. I agree. And I think it gives you some more options. And if when you have a traditional job, you get the same paycheck usually week Mm -hmm. after week. And I love the challenge of entrepreneurship that if one of my kids needs braces, all right, how can I raise a little extra money this month, which you can't do usually in a traditional job. Right. No, I love that too. Now, can you give us an example of what your youngest daughter is doing? I know you said she's already got the bug. She's pretty entrepreneurial. Well, she keeps trying to convince me to have a YouTube channel. (laughs) She loves the slime and all the tutorials. So that's kind of something we're looking towards. She's tried to raise money for the animal shelter. When we have a garage sale, she tries to make all the crafts and have her little table. And if anything, I feel like I've probably held her back because she has a lot more ambition to do these things and just as the parent with safety issues and all that good stuff. So we do talk about it and she does, she'll listen to podcasts with me in the car where the other kids put their headphones on. (laughs) Well, I think safety is one piece of it for sure, but it's also a lot of work. Like as somebody Mm -hmm. who allows her daughter to have a YouTube channel, it's work for me because I'm helping her with it because she's learning more and more how to do things. My daughter's also seven. So your 13 year old may be a little more self-sufficient, but it's still work for me. And I moderate all of her stuff because safety, those same issues, you know, so I'm moderating her comments and I'm scheduling her videos and things like that. So it is a lot of work to try to manage on top of everything else we're doing. A little trick that I do is when she gets a new idea and it's like, oh, can I raise money for the animal shelter? I want to sell these things. I have her map out a plan first. Okay, so tell me all about it. What are you going to sell? How much is it going to cost? Where are you going to sell these things? And sometimes that's enough (laughs) of a hill to climb that it's like, hmm. I don't know. We'll see. But it's also taught her to plan ahead to see if that even is a viable way to use your time. Well, market research before she launches. Yeah. All those little baby steps. So like jumping into your business, that's something you help women with. So therefore, you've just made it kid-sized for her. Yeah. And it it wasn't anything very intentional. It was more, like you said, I don't want to do all this work, setting all this stuff up to have it be something that fizzles out a week from now. So put the work in. But that's exactly what I do with my clients. I love planning. I love the big vision. I love the action steps, being strategic so that in the same sense, you're not wasting your time doing all these activities that aren't actually growing your business. 
So I'd like to kind of transition this into your areas of expertise. One of the things we mentioned briefly is that you're hosting a women's business conference, and this episode will air in February, and that conference is happening in the beginning of March. So can you tell me a little bit about the conference and then a little bit about why you decided to host that conference? Sure. The conference is March 4th and 5th, and it's in Southeast Wisconsin. It's a two-day event that's geared towards female entrepreneurs or small business owners. And we have 12 different breakout sessions and they're all just topics like you're speaking on advanced Facebook ads. It's all topics that are going to help women in business fill a gap or learn a new tech skill to help grow their business. And then we also have some networking events because really everyone says they come to the conference for the learning, but what everyone's talking about afterwards are the connections they made, the new people they met. That's really what people walk away just really loving that part of the conference. So I'm always very excited to see everyone in person. That brings me a lot of joy. So the conference originally started, it was a dream of mine because I was building business in my area alone. And, you know, we try to share all these ideas with our spouse. And after a while, they're not not so interested, maybe. So I just wanted a place where all our local women could go and learn something new and connect with other entrepreneurs. Because when you're working from home, it can get so lonely. So that is where the idea came from. And then I just had notebooks where I would just plan it. And as ideas came, just kept kind of adding to that. And then one day went and said, I'm just going to go check out the venue and ended up booking the space. And the rest is history. Yeah. So this will be the third year. So I'm curious for those of us who may be listening and wanting to start our own thing, because I think it's hard. I think a lot of people are going to relate to that, right? That, you know, you work for however many hours a day you work and then you go out and you want to tell your husband or your spouse or your boyfriend or whoever it is about all the things, you know, all the things that happened. And if they're not in the same space as you, they're not an online entrepreneur, they're not entrepreneurial, even like even the best and most supportive of spouses, like they just don't get it. Right. So finding that local support network is critical and it can be difficult if something doesn't already exist. So for somebody who would want to start an event, what's kind of the, the first steps I'm a big fan of brainstorming. So I would always say go somewhere quiet with a notebook and just write down anything and everything you think of when it comes to if you were to plan an event, what kind of event would you like to do? Who would come? Just to kind of get some ideas flowing because I do believe that once you get them flowing, they kind of incubate in your brain and work themselves out sometimes. But it's really important, especially if it's an in-person event, people are busy And people do not want to leave their homes unless they are assured that this event is going to be what they want. So you really need to find out from your audience what it is they're wanting and needing. Sometimes, like I said, what they need isn't what they want. (laughs) You know, and over time, you kind of learn that balance. But there's ways to pull your audience and not even asking about the specific event, but even polling behavior. So how often do you go to a networking event? Just to kind of see how often your group even goes to anything. If everyone pretty much says, I don't ever want to go, then maybe you're going to have to be more creative with getting them out the door. So I think really knowing what your audience is looking for is really important at the beginning. 
I like that. And what are the best ways that you found to survey your audience? Are you doing that through like an email list and survey monkey? Or is there another way that you're doing that? I personally like to ask people personally, if I'm at a networking event and I know someone I'm talking to is really my ideal market or someone in my group, then I'll just ask them, Hey, have you ever been to this kind of event? Is this something you'd ever want to go to? And I feel that in person, if you can, you really get a lot more information and there'll be a lot more forthright. But then like, I do do polls in my group often. My Your Facebook ca- group. Yes, with my Facebook group. The caution with that is one time I did do the same poll. For some reason, Facebook posted it twice, identically. <laughs> the answers were different. <laughs> so you do have to take those with a grain of salt. <laughs> Like twice the same time and just different people. It was identical. The the choices, it just double posted it for some reason. And the options that came first, it was like opposite. So it just depended. But what I did use that information for is not everyone in my group is my ideal client. So then when you look at the poll, look at who's answering and decide if that person's my ideal client, what she marked is more valuable information to me than what someone marked that isn't my ideal client. So using that data, even messaging people, because you're just asking for information, you're not selling to them. You're just kind of gathering information. And I think people like to be included in plans a lot of time. Now, do you do events throughout the year or is it just the one big conference? I have done events throughout the year. I do an in-person planning your year workshop with a local group. I do a once a month coffee chat that's local and free for women in my area. So I do do multiple smaller ones, but the conference is definitely the largest and draws from the largest area. Would you recommend starting with the smaller events then? Absolutely. Building up to a big conference. Like don't just jump into a two-day conference at a local hotel. No, probably not. (laughs) I actually advise people to start with a free event or a very low cost. Yeah. Sometimes free isn't always good if your audience is going to not commit then. So even something like a smaller cost. Your first event, you really want it to be something where you are giving a ton of value. You can fill the room and really learn from the experience, but also have pictures of the event then that you can use in further marketing. You have word of mouth for the people. If you really, really show up for them and over deliver, now you have this great word of mouth of how great your workshops are or your events. So I would really see that first event as not something you're going to make a profit on necessarily and just really, how can I use this to my advantage after the event? So, so far, start with a small event, like a smaller, either free or low cost. And I agree with you. I think sometimes the free events, you get a lot of people that RSVP, but like a lot of people may not show up. But if you charge like $5 or $10, like something totally Mm -hmm. affordable, once they've got that like skin in the game, they're more likely to show up. Even though it's only five bucks, they, they feel like they're financially committed to you. So something free or low cost, and then kind of trying to survey the audience or pull the audience to identify what they most want to get out of that event so that you can market it appropriately and, of course, deliver the value that they expect to get from it. Yes, that that's the other thing I think is important. If you want people to come to the event and leave happy, and that's twofold, that I think it's really important to map out exactly what outcome you're promising 
to the attendees so that anyone committing to the event knows what's happening at the event. What is the agenda? What should I expect? How should I dress? Who should I bring? And then what am I going to be either knowing or feeling when I leave? I don't know about you, but there's events on Facebook I see and I go through it and think, I think it looks good, but I have no idea what's actually happening. Like, would I wear a dress? Would I bring my daughter? I, there's just not enough information. It's a lot of kind of general promises, mm-hmm. but people want to know it's worth leaving their home. They want to know if when they walk in the door, they're going to fit in and feel like they're amongst their people, so to speak, that it's not going to be an intimidating environment. So I think you have to really map out exactly what you're promising and then keep that as your focus when you're planning making the decisions about the event. Will that feed this or draw away from what you're promising? So that when they leave, what you promised, you can say, I gave them exactly that. And what have you found are the best ways of marketing your local events? Word of mouth, for sure. And unfortunately, it's not something that you can pay for or you can just really create an audience that loves what you're offering and If you have people that you can have as affiliates, that's always helpful for spreading the word if it's a paid event. But really, most of the people that come to the conference are people that have been invited by someone or they know one of the speakers or I've worked with them before. Really, word of mouth is the best. So if you can somehow plan your marketing to encourage word of mouth, to encourage inviting friends, having a couple people that really love what you do that could help spread the word or maybe trading them something to help promote your event, um, however that would look in your business. So did you do a lot of local networking before launching your first events just to get those initial people in? Or where did like your initial, like your first ever local meeting, where did those people come from? The first meeting I ever did was at a Panera. Actually, before I even did the conference, I just wanted to get together with other entrepreneurs. So friends I knew that were running side businesses, we would just meet at Panera. So obviously there's no fee. You just paid for your coffee. And that was just through word of mouth, but it was just connecting with people that I knew that I think would find it useful or Mm -hmm. helpful. Well, I would love to know what your number one piece of advice would be for a parent pursuing entrepreneurship. Take some time to plan it out, not minute by minute or every detail, but really take some time to map out what would it look like? What would make it worth it? What would you be hoping to get out of it? Even what do you like about your current job that you would still want to have as a part of your small business, whether that's tasks or fulfillment, engagement with other people, and just really have a lot of ideas that you just kind of keep adding to before you commit. Awesome. And then before we go, of course, I want you to share where people can learn more about you, find out more information about the conference and all of that good stuff. Wonderful. Well, the main place for most of the information is our website and it's womensbusinessworkshop.com. There's an events tab there that will take you to the conference where you can sign up for Meg's session, Facebook ads. And my Facebook group is my favorite place to be. And it's a really nice group of women that are really encouraging. And that's just the group name is Women's Business Workshop. And same thing for Instagram. 
And I have to ask, I know we've talked about this before, but as somebody who's in Phoenix, why March in Wisconsin? Is it not cold there? (laughs) Right now it's raining in 40. (laughs) I feel like I'm going to freeze. (laughs) In two days, it's supposed to be in the 20s. So it's all over the place. There's a couple reasons. One is selfish that my husband has time off in the winter. And so for me, this is at near the end of his time Mm -hmm. off. So when he's home and can be the default parent is when I'm in my busiest season planning for the conference. The other reason is that our area, it is a resort town. There's lakes and a lot of summer activity. So in the summer, it is packed and there are the facility, the venue hosts weddings every weekend. And it's just really hard to get the space to ourselves. And what I do love is when we have it in March, nobody else is really there. So the entire hotel is pretty much ours. And that's, I think, really adds to the event. That's awesome. And I joke, but I am looking forward yes. <laughs> to I, like, I, I'm going to be super disappointed if there's no snow. Like I don't need a blizzard, but I'd like some snow. There might you the last two years there has not been snow. It's kind of been gray and maybe forties or fifties. So not super wonderful. But the hotel has a spa, it has an indoor pool, it has everything you need. So you don't even have to leave. It even has a coffee slash wine bar. Ooh, which I like. And I love I like the selfishness. So I I just want to touch on that too before we go. I know I like I keep saying before we go, before we go. And then it's like, yeah. oh, one more thing. <laughs> but one of the questions I get asked, and I'm going to take this back to Facebook because of course that's what I get asked questions about the most. It's like, when should I go live on Facebook? And my answer is always when it's convenient for you. Like you have to plan. If you're going to host an event like you're doing, you plan it at a time that works for you. It's not going to mm-hmm. work for everybody, but it works for you. And you're the most important person because you're planning it and the right people will show up. I agree. And you need to be in that, especially running an event, it is stressful and you need to be in a good place. So if it's following something that's really busy in your family, or if you have kids, you know, you have to consider their schedules. Another thing for me, that's right in between our two busy sports seasons. Mm. So it's kind of a nice lull, but yeah, I need to be at my best for that. And that's just when it works out for us. And what I have figured out is Other than really weird times, people are going to come if they want to come. They'll find a way. Well, I'm super excited. I can't wait. I've never been to Wisconsin, so I can't wait to check out Wisconsin and to eat some Wisconsin cheese. And hopefully some of my listeners will also go and we can hang out in real life at the wine bar. Sounds great. Awesome. Well, thank you for taking time out of your schedule to chat with us. It was super interesting to learn about your past 18 years and the journey of your kids and all of that good stuff. And of course, talking about the conference and planning local events. So thank you. It was my pleasure. Awesome. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. You'll find all of the links mentioned in this week's episode and the show notes at megbrunson.com slash 70. Now, last Wednesday, we were super lucky to welcome Hannah Grace to the podcast I just love talking to kids who are making big things happen. Next Wednesday, we have a similar treat for you. As a matter of fact, we're going to be alternating kids and adults for the next few weeks. Next week, we'll meet Kennedy Harris, 
And boy, let me tell you, this girl has a story as to how her business got started. I almost want to tease it, but let me just say, it's like nothing you've ever heard, and it is crazy to know that this kind of stuff actually is still happening today. Unbelievable. Make sure you tune in next Wednesday to hear her story and what she has done about it, what business she has created as a result of her experiences. Between now and then, I hope you do come back for Friday's family episode and Monday's marketing content. Thank you so much. Have a great day, and we'll talk soon. Bye now. Do us a favor. Share this podcast to a friend. It's like my mom always says, sharing is caring.